let's get wired up here. Amen. So, uh, with that as our start, um, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, uh, you would know that we have been going through a, what started off as a mini-series. It's actually developed into a full-on series now. I think we are now uh, on eight weeks of it, maybe with one or two sort of off-series uh, messages, uh, one such being Duncan and Lisa being here and sharing with us a different aspect of how we can connect with God deeper and an emotional level uh, in order to, to really enrich our walk with Him. So uh, we started off a couple of weeks back, as I said, on the series Follow Me, Follow Me being the call of Jesus, Follow Me when it makes no sense, Follow Me to receive His blessing, Follow Me even when you mess up, Follow Me for the sake of love, Follow Me to do as our King did. And um, Last week we spoke about following Jesus through eating and drinking. So when I was preparing this message this week, it actually didn't start off as one that follows this. It was supposed to be a heritage message. In fact, in my mind it was a conversation, so it wasn't going to be a message at all. And as the Holy Spirit often does, uh, the whole thing just changed. Quite late, I might say, I might add. Uh, quite late in this whole week, um, as late I think as yesterday or even this morning possibly, uh, he really settled on my heart to continue on the same little series um, with our topic being, being today, follow me regardless of your ethnicity and culture. So um, let's start ourselves off with this. I'm going to just need your involvement in this. So this is not a church service where you sit and be quiet. So please apply your mind, and I want to hear some feedback. Imagine for a second, um, you're married, okay? Imagine if you're married, you don't have to imagine, but for those of us, uh, or those that are not, (laughs) uh, I'm forgetting that I'm married. (laughs) Okay, it's time to go, it's time to go, peeps, time to go. Uh, Imagine you're married, Um, you have this beautiful wedding, your friends are there, your family is there. And at the end of the ceremony, you whisk your spouse away. Okay, I'm speaking now from a man's perspective. So as a lady, you have to imagine your part in this. And you're off to some really beautiful destination that both of you have always kind of talked about and you'd like to visit, you'd like to go and build some experiences there, taste wines and what have you. And you have a wonderful two weeks of your life at this place. You come back moving together into your new home as a married couple for the first time. And somewhere in the first week, um, the spouse now, who is not you, okay, because you are now imagining or you are the married one here, the spouse decides, listen, I'm going to hit the gym, I'm going to go for a run or a little walk by the beach and just, you know, really just pray, thank God for just this amazing blessing that he's given us. And sure, I'll see you later. Okay, in the meantime, I'll get dinner going. And Spice goes for a couple of hours and doesn't come back and comes back quite late in the evening, eight, nine o'clock, and dinner is cold. You ate, you waited and waited, and this person just never came back. He comes back and just completely unaware, you know, it's like, hey, where, where have you been? Oh, I decided to go have dinner with the folks. Right? I'm going to let you imagine how the rest of that conversation goes, but I'm going to proceed to the next one. 
Um, a week or so later, Spouse rocks up with a new car. You're thinking, what's this? I mean, I don't remember us discussing buying a new car. I mean, I mean, the one that we have is, is okay for us, you know, and we're not too far from, we don't work out far away from home, etc. So, what's going on? And your spouse tells you, you know, um, actually my mom and dad have got these friends that want to relocate to New Zealand or Australia, and they've got this car, such a great deal, and they've had it for like a year or two, it's practically new car. You know, on their advice, I decided that I'm going to buy this car. Of course, this conversation is not going to end there, and <laughs> I see Katja was, she her face is like, <laughs> what's going on here? Okay, I'm going to let you also imagine the rest of that conversation, how it goes. And last time, or lastly, let me say, three or so weeks later, husband bolts through the door, all excited. Honey, honey, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Go away, come, let's go, let's go. Drags you to the car, and you get to the car. His brother or sister is in the car. His mom or dad are also in the car. Where are we going? Are we going to see this house? What house? The house that we're buying. When did we decide to buying a house? No, you know, I mean, me and my family were talking and it's really a great deal. It's actually in the area that we like. It's closer to the schools that we've always wanted to take our kids to, you know, etc. And this is now the part where you get involved now. Tell me what feelings or a statement or a phrase that comes to mind about the future of this marriage. Say, 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 it's annoying. It's annoying, okay. It's very, it's very gentle. Any other ideas? A phrase that comes to mind about the future of this marriage. Can, can you say divorce? Hey? Okay, Bruce. Okay, Bruce, divorce. Okay. No, it's a possibility. I mean, if it carries on like this, you know, irrespective of the conversations had in between, that's where it's headed, right? Yes, Mama Sally. Absolutely. There's a big problem with communication here. So of course this is never gonna work. Right? This will never work. So um borrowing from our dear brother Michael Burns, um uh, if some of you might remember about three years ago, twenty twenty, in the middle of maybe not so in the middle, but somewhere in that time of the epidemic we did a church and culture talk that was quite enlightening for some of us. It was quite scary for some of us. Um, and and it, it's, it's an eight-week series that we, that we went through. I mean, there is a lot of detail. So I'm borrowing from there because it really addresses uh, the issues of church and culture, and particularly in the, fact, in the context of us celebrating heritage. You know, the culture comes in and all of these things come in. But one of the things that he says, in fact, on the week, on the fourth week of the series is that marriage is such a powerful illustration that you will find that it's used throughout the Bible to, to denote the type of relational intimacy that God wants with us and that we ought to want with Him. As well, so that's why I gave this little illustration about marriage because it is so important. Of course, we know that the Bible tells us that we are the bride and Jesus is the groom, right? Now, one of the 
One of the most instructive aspects of marriage and in, in that context is the change in identity. This is where now woke people have a problem with the whole idea of marriage, right? <clears throat> okay, in many cultures in the world, um, we know that the lady normally takes the name of their husband, right? That's changing their identity. And we relinquish the name of our parents, the name in which we were raised. We let that go. We take on this new one. You know, for a lady who grew up being Miss so-and-so, now is Mrs. this and that, <clears throat> right? So the, the, this, this is unmistakable. I want you to think of, as, as, as I'm sort of sharing, I'm not hitting a point right now, I'm just spreading this out. In fact, this very easily could be an open-ended type of message because there's no place where I'm going to close it because this is something that we live. Unless we are finished living, it's difficult to close. Yeah, there are certain set defined parameters within which we live, in the cultures and the context in which we were raised, etc. But again, that's for me what makes it difficult to button it up somewhere. So what I want us to understand, though, is that in the context of marriage, at least as God's people, I hope we agree in this, that <clears throat> there is a fundamental shift in our identity once we get married. That's why there's a problem with the spouse who comes home late, having had dinner already somewhere else, having not told his wife or husband that this is what they were planning to do. That doesn't work. Because when we committed ourselves in this new covenant, we committed ourselves to this new life here. So our primary identity cannot still be linked somewhere else. We are building it now here under this new name that we have taken. Right? Now, in early years of our marriage, my wife used to have these favorite phrases. I don't know whether she was hinting at something, but... <clears throat> I got it. I heard it so much that it kind of just sank, it kind of sank in my mind. She used to say, leave and cleave. You know, at first I was kind of like, you know, I wasn't even sure I understood the meaning of the word cleave until I went and looked it up. I was like, okay. All right. So leave and cleave. <clears throat> she understood this so well right off the bat. And, and in my mind, I was kind of still figuring this out and how is this living arrangement and fighting about socks on the floor and what have you. So she used to repeat this, leave and cleave. Up until one, I don't know how far along in the marriage we were, maybe in the first or second year or whatever, we had a, we had a disagreement. And, you know, I grew up without my dad, so and he just happens to be late now. He's not even around for me to ask advice from. So I kind of got chatting with my mom, and I was asking advice on something. And share my poor mother. You know, <clears throat> I don't even think that she intended to do it this way. It just, for her, it was just, she just completely took my side of the story. 
you know and I think maybe a week or so later she also kind of came to realize that ooh mm -mm, that was not the way and she and my wife had a conversation about that but what I'm trying to say is that the idea of leaving and cleaving for me was starting to set in leaving well we know when you take leave is you're going to be absent from a place or you are departing from a place or you are separating from a place or something like that I'm creating now a manjo dictionary here, so make sure that you stay with me however the word cleave for me carries a little bit more weight there is a I mean if I, when I looked it up it says <clears throat> you sever the connection or ties and or you break a chemical bond that was quite strong now in the context of marriage <clears throat> if we look back at this young or maybe not so young married couple that is why God says that when two are married they will separate from their families to become one to be built anew here so what am I saying Am I saying to you now that once you get married, I don't want to scare the young ones now, once you get married you completely use, lose your old identity? That's not what I'm saying. That's not at all what I'm saying, but what I'm saying though is this, <clears throat> that that shift in identity says that you can no longer be, you can no longer Keep the identity of your family where you come from in the same way. It means you get involved with the work of building a new identity, redefining your identity in the context of this new covenant. Right? Come with me now to find some biblical basis for what I'm saying. In case I'm just waffling here and telling you, all manner of things are read on the internet. So I want to assure you that let's go together to Galatians chapter 2 that there is a biblical basis. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read <clears throat> these scriptures sort of fairly um, one after another and then we'll, we'll make some points after that. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I'm going to read quickly because this is supposed to be a relatively short message because uh, there are some brothers and sisters that are going to have an opportunity to share with us um, uh, some things about culture and before we go into communion. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, <clears throat> I have been crucified with Christ. That is, in him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Therefore, I no longer live as I did before. I no longer live for myself. I no longer live for my family. I now live for and adhere to, rely on and trust in the one to whom I am married for the sort of physical it is the spouse if you're married of course the most important is the spiritual which is the groom to the church which is the son of God with his king Jesus 
Let's go together quickly to Romans chapter 9, <clears throat> keeping the same kind of thought, thoughts here. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Uh, it says here, I'm telling, I'm telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me, enlightened and prompted by the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For, it is, for if it were possible, I would wish that my, I would wish that myself were accursed, which means separated or banished from Christ for the sake of the salvation of my brothers and my natural kinsmen who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons, the glory, the special covenant with Abraham, Moses, David, and the giving of law, the systems of temple worship, and the origins of promises. To them belong the patriarch, and from them, according to his natural descent, came the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He, he is exalted and supreme over all. He who is exalted and supreme over all, God blessed forever. Amen. This is, I find this, this particularly interesting because when I first read this, I don't know, over 20-something years ago, I thought, okay... This is, this is, this is something new because I was introduced in the Bible through the Gospels. The Gospels are very, in my view, inclusive and they don't, it was the first time that I found a Bible writer who was concerned about his own people. You know? Paul is a Jew. He expresses his anguish that the chosen ones, the people that God had set aside for what? for the lineage of the Messiah had completely missed the message and the story of God. And what happens here, I think more tragically, is that the, 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 the practices, the rituals, and the cultural things found more expression amongst the people than the purpose for which they were chosen at the end. So Paul says, if it were, if it were possible, I would choose that they be saved and I be cast out. That's, that's, that's quite deep. That's quite deep. Of course, this, I mean, there's a whole context to it, but I'm trying to say is this, that <clears throat> there is absolutely nothing wrong with loving who we are. We were born in the places and the families that we were, and God designed it that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we are called to a new life, to a new covenant, we need to maybe step back, understand what this whole thing is takes time for some of us it's taken over 20 years for me it might take two years for you it might take two weeks I mean they are people that came into the church within two weeks they were baptized they were in ministry and they never looked back and it doesn't work the same for all of us so God meets us where we are but what we cannot we cannot uh, pretend is not there or doesn't exist is the fact that we have been molded and we have been shaped by certain cultural and um, well there's a conditioning that has taken place in the cultures 
within the ethnicities that we were raised. <clears throat> that stuff does not disappear when we say Jesus is Lord. You know, when we go under the waters of baptism, it's not washed off. You come out as a new creation, however you are who you were. So, now, this brings me now to my next point. The calling is unmistakable, guys. It is not coincidental. It is most certainly not accidental. It is intentional. So, this now then becomes very important that when we respond on, now that we have responded, that we reevaluate where the identity lies within us. Question that I got asking myself while I was contemplating this is what would I say informs my outlook at life today? And I'm inviting you to ask yourself the same question. Uh, is it your cultural, ethnical stuff? Or is it the identity that's being formed as you are living in Christ today? So this leads me to my next... Um, I don't want to call it a point. The next issue... <laughs> So what does this have to do with us then? Or what relevance does this carry for us? Before we answer that one, I'd say let's go to the book of Acts chapter 11 quickly. Uh, Because this is supposed to be a relatively short message, I'm going to read only verses 15 to 18, but the background to it is this. Peter is confronted here by his fellow Jews, and what is the thing with you and eating with, you know, the Gentiles. What's up with that? And 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 uh, <clears throat> if you remember elsewhere, Paul actually rebukes Peter for changing his stance upon being confronted. And but that's another one. I just want to deal with this one in um, uh, chapter eleven, verses one to fourteen. Basically, the story is Peter is trying to explain to those that confronted him why it is that he is conducting himself in this manner. He says, listen, our city, I was somewhere in Joppa, I can't remember the guy's name now, place where he lived, and I was up in the roof and I see this vision of this large kind of bed sheet looking kind of thing with all kinds of animals in it and it is lowered right down to me and the voice says, kill and eat. And Peter says, Lord, surely not. As long as I have lived, nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. Surely not. This happens three times. And then at the end, he is told that you shall not call anything unclean that God has made clean. Okay? And the thing is pulled right up again. And then from there, as he sort of comes out of this trance or whatever he was going through, you know, brothers come looking for him. Peter, there's some people looking here for you. And he comes down and these guys say, listen, we have been sent here by a gentleman named Cornelius. And I don't know in that culture if Cornelius was not a clearly gentle name. But anyway, Spirit has already had a conversation with Peter. Peter, you will go to this appointment or to this meeting you are being called to. 
So Peter has already resolved that issue in his heart. He's been told, go. No resistance. And then he follows. Anyway, so let's pick this up, verses 15 down to 18, and it says here, When I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he did on us at the beginning at Pentecost. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave Gentiles the same gift equally as he gave us after we accepted and believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, who was I to interfere or stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified and praised God, saying, Then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance that leads to eternal life, that is real life after earthly death. You know, it's, it's, I know that we learned um, from Duncan and Lisa that sometimes we read the scriptures with the lenses through which we look at life. And when I'm hearing this, that when Peter said this to them, they quieted down. And immediately I'm thinking, were they shouting the men down? What was happening? Yeah, it sounds like it was quite a... A, a hot discussion. It wasn't a, by the way, that why do you like hanging out with Gentiles, Peter? It was like, Peter, you know, wah, you know. So, so they, after they receive the explanation, they quiet down. And then they start changing how they see this whole thing. Okay, it seems that God has granted the Gentiles the same spirit equally as he did with us at the beginning. Now, as I mentioned earlier on, you know, we... we I'm going to generalize and say most of us, we love the cultures in which we were raised, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Sometimes the challenge, though, is when we start judging or assessing other people's cultures based on ours. Then that becomes a problem. Again, that's a whole message on its own we're not going to go to. But I want us just to be aware of the dangers sometimes of being able to do that. I'm saying all of this while I was preparing the message, I think even now, that when we sort of try and study the mechanics of different people, what we call diversity, for me, what is the goal? The goal is perfect unity in Christ. We want to get to that place so because of it, I am absolutely convinced that when we start to fall into the temptation of looking at people's cultures through the eyes of our own, and then we are tempted to compare, we are tempted to, like, whoa, that's a bit weird. Why do they do that? Or why don't they do that? They are so da 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 And then we sort of spiral into what is called ethnocentrism. We are now driven by our cultural makeup, you know, what we were formed in our culture. We begin to place unfair expectations on people, and we begin to reason that if you're not doing it the way I do it, you're doing it wrong, right? Or sometimes we place these expectations on ourselves. Because we want to fit within what we see as a better culture, a better way to do it. And we have this pressure to move away 
and, and, and remove ourselves from certain practices. And of course, if they are contrary to God's scripture, Jesus, and this covenant, I'm thinking of my sons now correcting me in how I'm saying this word. They would tell me, Dad, it's not covenant, it's covenant. So, amen. So, if, if it's contrary to that, of course, it's something that you ought to reassess and reevaluate. But it should not be someone else's culture against which, against which you benchmark to see whether yours is within what God accepts or not. It, is, it should be purely from God's word. All right, and obviously as the Spirit um, is leading you. So, round about this weekend, across the country, there are brides taking place, or supposed to be. And I don't think in this way that. But I want to talk a little bit about that, <clears throat> um, because it is something that we also enjoy as a family. Bride for me is nothing more than roasting meat over coals. And that is as old as anything. I think for me it goes back as far as from the time human beings decided they're going to eat meat. That's how it was done. You make fire, you either put it up on a sort of some type of arrangement where you're turning it or you let the fire cool down and it's cold and then you put it over the fire. It is as old, as far as I can tell, it cuts across many, many cultures and people groups um, that um, don't have issues with animals being killed and eaten. So it, it, is not, it, is not a, it is not a necessarily unique thing. However, Bri, in the South African context, has found expression and popularity within the African culture, for me, my limited knowledge, because it was the way in which they promoted their own social cohesion within their own culture. Um, and and, and there's, that, is, that is a beautiful thing. In fact, it became so popular that Umbengo, um, Umbengo is a braai in my culture. Umbengo now is no longer referred to as Umbengo now, it's a braai now. So that word was borrowed now and brought here, and I think all of the sort of 11 languages and speaking people in South Africa adopted that same way of cooking, which is as old as anything, and we use it now as a braai now. If you say to a South African, we're having a braai, nobody's wondering what's happening. You know exactly what we're going to do. So now, when that was first introduced, well, let me put it like this. When I first came to the church, I had not had a braai in my life. I'd eaten a lot of umbango. I'd eaten, I love meat. In fact, I grew up in a village, in a village where my clan, my clansmen specifically, or the people of my clan, are known for loving meat. And I've kind of just always left my own love of meat to that, that because I belong to these people, so... My love of meat comes from that. So I ate a lot of it. So, so when I first came to the church, then it was the bri. I was like, oh, okay. Because this was a fairly young church back then, I don't remember how old, maybe 10, 12 years, I don't know. Maybe you guys might know, I don't know. So the, the, the idea of bri was introduced in the way that 
it was conducted in the African culture or in the cultures or societies in which it was made popular in South Africa. And then because now we are diverse like this, we are we found that oh okay there's some misalignments. I'm saying all of this to say this is what I love and appreciate about this church. We recognized that we were under a new and a different covenant. Therefore that might not completely fit this new way and the new life and the new identity. Therefore, we needed to tweak it. We kept it as braai, but how we do it different because at, at, at the earliest, it used to sort of highlight where the economic weaknesses were within the family. So, so having seen all of that, the family was like, wait a minute, uh, now we can't have it like that. Because if we read the scripture, the scripture is they shared everything they had and nobody had need. So we cannot carry on in that manner. So I'm saying this to encourage this family and his, I mean, its willingness to rework certain things in order to build something new, redefine our identity together as different as we are under the new name that we have taken, which is the name of Jesus. So as I bring the plane down now, I'm going to actually... Um, this is the sort of open-ended part of the lesson is there are two main categories for me of um, multiculturalism, if you can say, um, that, that, that need our attention. I think we do this particularly well. I think specifically today how we address the, the meals that we're going to have, we fit this particularly well. The first one is is what uh, is what's referred to as the above surface. It's all of the visible things that you can see: our music, dress code, um, dances, and I mean mannerisms, and you know art, and all of the stuff that's tangible. That's the above surface stuff. And I think we do we do particularly okay in that because we we we, we recognize the beauty easily in each other's. Um, cultures on those things but then there's the second uh, category or aspect of it which is the below surface uh, if I remember correctly I, I actually even have a picture in my mind um, of this uh, iceberg right iceberg wherever you see it whatever the context is you always see this tiny little triangular shaped thing at the top and then there's this huge stuff at the bottom that sort of floats in the water. I believe the below surface stuff is actually where a lot of work needs to take place. If we are ever going to fully realize the absolute and perfect unity Jesus is talking about, we need to successfully navigate the below surface stuff. What is that? Below surface stuff is things such as expectations, beliefs, how we define things, family, how we relate to authority, um, how we define truth, friendships, fairness, justice, things like that. How we define those things, if we can successfully navigate those, I believe that we are that much closer to achieving that absolute unity with Jesus. Because if we don't, what tends to happen is this, the above surface stuff is, accounts for a very small 
measure of this unity we need to achieve. The bulk of it sits under. And, and that is scary because if we have to go there, it requires us to be vulnerable. It requires us to be accepting of one another. It requires us to be open to being shown that let's measure this against the word of God here. Yeah. Let's measure this against what Jesus did here. Yeah. You know, it requires that. And sometimes it's not an easy place to go to because it means you're going to need to confront who you have come to believe you are as a person. And not only yourself, you, you look back to your old family to say, this is, this is who we are as a people. And, and it can be an unsettling thing if there is quite a number of practices. I know the culture that I come from has got quite a few practices that I am saying to my wife, we're not doing that as a matter of culture. Okay, we're not doing that one. And this one is amazing because it, for me it speaks to what Jesus is calling us to do. So anyway, I'm not a definer of culture in the black community and spheres and whatever. So I'm just saying, in my view, there, there are certain things that need, that need to be dealt with. And it's not an easy thing to do. It makes it even less easy when we are diverse because I don't know if Dean is going to understand where I'm coming from. But Dean does understand where I'm coming from. Just make an example. So, so, but I can be afraid to, to bring him into that space and kind of like, I'd rather keep this one for myself. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe Annalisa might understand this better. In fact, I know Annalisa will understand this better. But then we will never grow to become this family that God is, is creating. If we're not willing to let go of the old name based on the old family, and allow ourselves to be reformed and redefined into a new family and a community under the new name we've taken, we will never succeed. With that, I would like to leave it hanging just like that. And we will have a couple of people come and share, I believe. Hey, Neil? Or did I take too much time? We can't sing. <laughs> okay. okay, amen. So I don't know if there's a song in between now or we're just going to share. Amen. So there are people that will come and share and then we'll have our communion afterwards. Amen. Give the boy a hand.